Hello and welcome to Raw Chatter, the stuff that matters. I am your host, Vicky Midwood, and I am bringing you this podcast bi-weekly. We will be talking to guests and I will be talking on my own alternately all about subjects that we want to bring to the forefront of conversations. This is non-censored stuff on subjects that perhaps we don't talk about enough and I truly believe that nothing should be taboo and the more we can talk about things, the more we can bring things into the open, the more we can be totally honest about how we feel and what we think without worrying about judgment from other people, the better. So thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the second series of the podcast Raw Chatter, the stuff that matters. I am alone today, I haven't got a guest and I think this is an important uh, episode folks for those of you who are feeling that you are wanting to turn to something through this whole cost of living crisis. Now I hate terms like that. It's not helpful to anybody. Uh, it, the whole way that it's presented in the news, in social media, newspapers, on the radio, whatever, you know, in interviews and stuff, and we keep using this word crisis, and immediately when we hear that word, we go into a higher state of stress, right? Because we just do. Words are powerful. You've heard me say this before, incredibly powerful, because we have an interpretation of, of what that means in our own heads and what we connect it to and what we associate it with. You know, the old saying, six and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, couldn't be more wrong, right? Words hurt. And this is relevant to kind of what I'm going to share with you, because emotional abuse through words is more powerful and longer lasting than any kind of physical abuse that is meted out to people. And for those people who I've already had as guests on my podcast, you will have heard them agree that the emotional side of being in a relationship that is abusive is, is something that sticks way longer. You can, you can heal, your body can heal, but words are incredibly, incredibly powerful. So when we hear words like crisis, cost of living crisis, right, well, we need to kind of just like take a step back and understand that this is just the media's way of sensationalizing something because they are in the business of creating news and they need it to sound more enticing and you wanting to listen to it. So they have to do that with a powerful headline. It's just marketing. And I think a lot of us forget that, that newspapers and TVs and radio stations make their money from, from marketing. They need people to be watching and they need people to be listening. And we're not going to do that if, if they just are putting out kind of like blah, 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 right? We need to be interested in what they have to say. And fear and sensationalization is the way that they do it, which is exactly what happened with the pandemic. Now, in this country in particular, we are like a dog with a bone when it comes to this kind of stuff. We just go on and on and on and on about it. And, and one particular topic always seems to dominate what is being spoken about. And it's not helpful to anybody in any way, shape or form. But 
unfortunately there's a lot of people who do tune in to the news and who are susceptible to being affected very very powerfully by this stuff and that means that they often will then turn to external things to help them to cope so I watch the news very very infrequently and when I do put it on it's usually first thing in the morning just to catch the headlines of anything new that is happening that day in terms of health and well-being that maybe my clients might hear and ask me about that's the main reason that I switch on now obviously I'm going to hear the headlines and it just makes me laugh at the way that they're presented. But I don't let it affect me because I've chosen not to because I understand that it's just sensationalization. But one of the things that I did hear, which was quite scary in a sense, but also not unexpected, is that the amount of money people are spending at the moment in retail and on clothes and, and other stuff, you know, white goods, has dropped right? But the sale of alcohol and cigarettes has increased. Now, why am I not surprised? Because we saw that, didn't we, in the pandemic too. And this is a human response to something that is going on that they have an emotional reaction to. And this is why this episode is entitled When the Solution Becomes a Problem, because this is how dependence begins, addiction begins. And nobody sets out to have a problem with food or alcohol or smoking. We all think that we're just going to try it. We're just going to see what it feels like. And if you think about it, for those of you who have ever tried a cigarette, it's absolutely awful. That first thing that you taste is just horrible. Yet, we do it again, don't we? Right? And we kind of, the thinking behind it is, well, there must be something special about this because so many people are doing it. So I need to get over this fact that it absolutely tastes horrible and it made me cough and it made me feel sick when I first had a drag of a cigarette. We keep on trying. And it's usually the same with alcohol. There is, I don't know of anybody that I've met who can honestly hand on heart tell me that they liked the taste of, of a beer or a glass of wine the very first time they had it. Now, I know for people who have maybe tried spirits with a with a sweet mixer in, like, you know, a vodka and coke or something, well, you kind of taste the coke and it's just sort of funny flavor. So it's potentially more palatable. But for everybody, just about, and if you are somebody who did like alcohol from the very first taste, I'd, I'd love I'd love to know, because you are very unusual. But we don't, we don't like it. But yet we persevere with doing something that tastes foul, makes our clothes smell, makes our hair smell, in the case of cigarettes, costs a lot of money, but we tell ourselves, well, well, other people are doing it, so I need to learn to enjoy this. Oh, and you think about it in that context, it's absolutely barking mad, isn't it? Right? Why would we even put ourselves through this? Our taste buds are there for a reason. Right? Our sense of smell is there for a reason to tell us if something is off. And by the way, we don't need sell by dates to do that or use by dates, right? Use use your nose and use your taste buds. If they don't smell right, no matter what the use by date is, bit it. And if you put a mouthful in your mouth and don't taste right, same thing. Okay. But we persevere, we ignore that. 
we ignore that. Cigarettes absolutely stink. And that's one of the main reasons why I was so grateful when I decided that I was going to have my last cigarette. And that was that because my clothes, my hair, my, my car smelled. I didn't smoke in the house because it wasn't allowed, but I did used to smoke in my car. And I know that my car must have stank. Um, and I did, but you become oblivious to it. It's the same with alcohol. You don't realize how much your breath actually smells because especially because you think well I'm covering it up I'll brush my teeth and I use mouthwash and I use chewing gum but you can't you can't cover it up you can't hide it other people can still smell it and of course I'm digressing which is what I always do but my point being that we turn to these things in a, in a in a state of crisis as it's presented to us as being a crisis however for those of you who are younger people this will be the first time you've gone through what is being classed as a recession. It's not for me. This is the third or even fourth. I'm 53. Um, but in the 80s, there was one. In the 90s, there was one, two. In the 2000s or 2001, 2002, don't quote me on any of these dates, folks. So I have, my memory is not great on this stuff. But what I'm saying is this is a cycle and it happens and it's going to always happen. And we get through it. And one thing that I think it's important that you know is that there are more millionaires, multimillionaires, and billionaires created in an economic recession like this than ever. So this is where, unfortunately, we do understand that it can be a time when the poor get poorer and the rich get richer. But what boggles my mind, literally just in the case of like budgeting, is if you are classing yourself in that bracket as, as a poorer person, then why on earth would you be spending money on cigarettes that just go up in smoke and on alcohol that changes nothing except it just numbs your emotions and potentially sends you into a blackout so you can forget what's going on. But nothing's changed when you've come around except you feel even worse. You got a hangover or you feel sick and then you go and do it again right? Because hair of the dog actually will make you feel better if you've drunk enough. And that's one of the things that led to me becoming quite quickly dependent on alcohol. That whole hair of the dog thing, I thought it was a load of rubbish. But actually, when I did it, yeah, it did work, which is why I could never understand how could people talk about going on three or four or five day benders because surely when you feel so terrible if you've been on a on a, on a band on a bender and by a bender I mean where you drink much much more than you normally drink and for me I normally drank quite a lot so when I went on a bender it was a significant amount with multiple blackouts involved but the next day I would feel so terrible that the only solution was to have another drink and would that first drink make me feel better slightly yes would the second one definitely and then before I knew it I would be off again and this is where you can lose days now to be honest I didn't do that very often um because I was working you know I was what you call a functional um alcohol dependent person and I'm purposely not you'll notice using the term alcoholic because I hate it I think it's pointless it's a label and I, I just don't like labels of any description 
at all because I think that they they don't help us to understand that we are not that label and unfortunately labels can lead to a lot of people living up to that identity of what they perceive that label actually means and so I don't think it's helpful at all which is why I really don't like that term however I understand why it's there because it does kind of help you in a way to understand if you do have an issue initially so I'm not saying we should never use them but I'm choosing not to purposefully so for me alcohol was a solution now it was a solution to having hangover much much later on in my in my drinking it wasn't in the early days at all I'm talking way later on but this is where we start to understand that addiction's not straightforward because there are going to be a lot of people as the statistics have said who are going to be turning to drinking more alcohol and smoking more cigarettes exactly as they did through the pandemic and when we get through this whole recession period there will be people who have become very much dependent on alcohol and there will be people who haven't i and there are multiple reasons for that so what do we do when the solution or what we're using as a solution to help us to feel better and to get through the day and to just cope and not be constantly thinking about what we can afford, what we can't afford, how am I going to get through, da, 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 da. Well, we're not doing all of that. What is that point when the solution does actually become a problem? And this is, if you like, the definition of addiction. And really, it, it boils down to you feeling that you have to have that thing just to be able to get through the day, just to feel normal, just to be able to manage with day-to-day -day stuff. And yes, is that a really simplified definition? Yeah, but you know what? I'm all about simple because there is so much information out there and there are so many people who can give you all kinds of different definitions. But ultimately what it boils down to is this sense of not being able to, to manage without the thing whether it's cigarettes, whether it's alcohol or both, whether it's specific foods or types of foods. And nobody chooses to have an issue or a problem. Nobody chooses to become dependent because we only ever looked at this stuff as a solution. You know, this is where when we look at people who are really overweight and you know, a lot of the binge eaters that I work with are not overweight because they compensate massively through either throwing up, using laxatives, or exercising like lunatics and having a lot of physical injuries because of that. But there are a few who are overweight, some a little bit and some significantly. And what we have to understand is that often people bingey and emotionally and put on weight because it's a solution. So talking to them about nutrition and restricting their calorie intake and you know working on macros and all that kind of stuff, it's not particularly helpful. Telling people what damage alcohol is doing to their body is not particularly helpful because we just kind of switch off to it, don't we? Same thing with cigarettes. I mean, We've had warnings on cigarette packets ever since they came into being. And then they tried to really make it even more powerful by putting those gross pictures on. And now, 
you can't get cigarettes without having to go to a specific counter and they're actually closed so you can't see them on the shelf. But just telling people how bad cigarette smoking was for them didn't change the fact that actually in and of that moment, it provided a solution. And so when we look at anybody who is overweight and we think that it's to do with willpower and they just need to go on a diet and restrict their food and move more, it's much more than that. Oftentimes with people who are severely overweight, with people who emotional eat and binge eat, we need, we need to look at why. Why are they doing it? And there are significantly more people who overeat, who binge eat, who have been raped, who have been emotionally abused throughout their lives. And it's constant. There was never any let up. And as I said back at the start of this, emotional abuse can be more powerful if you're consistently being made to feel not good enough, not worthy, that you don't deserve anything. Then there's a part of you that just wants to hide away. And if you're really obese, you can hide away. If your focus in your world becomes just food and eating, because that is safe doesn't talk back to you. It doesn't criticize you. It actually does make you feel better in the short term. Then you're going to want to do that. So you can disappear from the world and you can hide and you can feel safe in being overweight, even though it might be uncomfortable and you might have painful joints. We are human beings and we have a, a reptile brain. The oldest part of the brain is designed to keep us safe and to feel secure. Right? And food will do that for so many people. We all are familiar with the term comfort eating. So we all want that at times. And there are certain foods which will take us back to that childhood experience of being comfortable. Now, for people who do not have an issue with food or binge eating or emotional eating or on the opposite side, restricting, then everybody comfort eats at some point in their lives. But it's not a thing. It's not a thing that they need to do every single day to help them to just get through the day and feel better about themselves. In terms of alcohol, in terms of cigarettes, these things are specifically manufactured in such a way to become addictive. And they are. They work on certain parts of the brain and they work on not just the brain and the neurotransmitters, but they provide an endorphin release and an endorphin people talk about um the neurotransmitters and the dopamine hit and that's really really important but we need to understand is that it's the reward it's the actual getting of the stuff that for many people actually gives that really good feeling i know for me planning my binges and i did planning them was a a real big part of of the whole process of it. Like, when was I going to do it? I had I was meticulous about knowing who when this is when I was at home back in the in the early days. When were people going to be going out? How long would they be going out for? And um, when would I get the opportunity to go shopping for my binge foods and make sure that there was nobody in the house when I came back with it so that I would be able to hide it. It was a bit like, you know, it was like a military operation planning it and you know and I'll never forget there there were one occasion in particular, I can remember that unexpectedly, 
my dad came home and I was upstairs in my bedroom in, and that's where I used to do it. I didn't do it in the kitchen. I didn't do it standing up. I'd sit, I'd sit on my bedroom floor, just literally surrounded by mountains of, of food, often that I'd stolen from um, M&S. Sorry if anybody works in M&S. And sorry, yes, and I, I have, I did, and I, I will be sharing this in my in my upcoming book. But I did actually, um, I did actually get arrested for shoplifting not once but twice. But that is where you understand that my addiction well, it could have led to a criminal record. My addiction was to food, right? It doesn't matter what the addiction is. We will do whatever it takes if we have this desperate obsession, need, desire to fulfill that total need that has been created by stories that we're telling ourselves but also biochemically, bacterially. My body was screaming for those foods that I was binging on. My body was actually screaming for decent nutrition because I wasn't allowing it to have the nutrients that it needed. And so it was crying out for nutrients, but it was also because the bacteria that were being fed the most were the ones that wanted sugar because they were being fed alcohol. Then when it came to me binging on food, I always went to the ones that converted into sugar fast. So it was always cakes. It was ice cream. It was custard. It was biscuits, although they were a bit rubbish. I've never been a biscuit fan and I never am. So biscuits weren't high on the list, but unless they were really thick chocolate covered ones. Um, but they could set me off on a binge. And this is where even to this day, I'm not a biscuit fan. And people, and my daughter said, is that because you just don't like them? Or is it because you've spent so many years telling yourself that you can't have them? And the answer is, I don't like them, I really don't. Um, but I had to think about it. So what, I, what I'm trying to get across here is that in, in a, a, a space and a place, where we are in life and in the world at the moment. How we choose to respond to things is going to be very, very different for everybody. When we understand that changing our situation and changing the way that we think is really the only thing that is going to help us to feel better in the longer term, trying to change how we feel and think through food, through alcohol, through smoking is only ever going to be a temporary solution. But when that solution then in and of itself becomes a problem, that's where actually we can get even more obsessed because the more we think about not doing the thing that has now become a problem, the more we're actually thinking about it. So if anybody is thinking about not smoking and they're spending all the time talking about not smoking and wanting to give up smoking, all they're thinking about is smoking. It's the same with drinking. I'm going to I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to cut down on drinking. I really shouldn't be drinking so much. What are you saying inside your head all the time? Drinking, drinking, drinking. And that's what your brain picks up on, which is why when you see alcohol, whether it's on the TV advertisement, whether it's in when you're out in the supermarket or if you're going out socializing, then your brain has already been primed to home in on drink, drink, drink because you keep thinking about it. Whether you're thinking about doing it or thinking about not doing it, that's irrelevant. The more you tell yourself you don't want the thing, the more you are actually giving out the vibration of being attracted and to getting more of that thing. Now, this is just simple energy, law of attraction, reciprocity. It's just how it works. 
Um, and so what do we need to do? We need to change our focus. We need to be around people who are not talking about the recession and how much more expensive things are. Is it helpful to anybody? No. Are we repeating stuff that we already know? Yes. So why do we need to keep talking about it? <laughs> it's just like when you think about it, it's absolutely bonkers. But this is what we do. Now, I have been away this weekend at an amazing event called Expert Empires. And not one conversation with those people who are focusing on providing services for clients and growing their business and being the best human beings that they can and living up to their purpose. Not one conversation was about the cost of living crisis, right? Not one. Because we're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about what can we do as human beings to help ourselves be the best that we can to live up to our purpose and to help others in that process. Because the more we can be successful, the more visible we can be, the more people we can help, then the more we can create a society that is focused on solutions that are helpful and healthful rather than ones that are not. Now, there were some amazing keynote speakers in there. And you know, Stephen Bartlett, some of you will have heard of because you've watched Dragon's Den. Some of you may not have, and that's fine. You can Google him and find out who he is. That one of the key things that he he said, he was asked a question, question and answer session, and the question was, what are your non-negotiables? You know, how do you get through your day doing everything that you do? What I think the guy was looking at for like a morning routine or anything, you know, unusual, different, specific that he did. And he said, no, I'm going to poo-poo that idea that I've got this incredible morning routine and that I follow it religiously. He said, I don't. He said, I know a lot of people in my situation who are very successful do. He said, but I don't. He said, but what I do do is sleep is a non-negotiable for me. So he prioritizes sleep and he prioritizes exercise. And I literally did a fist bump in the air when he said that because those two things are so important. I would add on one more to that and I would add hydration and I wouldn't say that they have a hierarchy necessarily. Um, in my foundations of um, health and pleasure, the health foundations of health and pleasure which you can now uh, get as an online course, I talk about the most important six things and, and so I have put one is hydration, two is sleep and three exercise right because moving your body and exercising is one of the most important things you can do to help yourself feel better and it gives you that boost of endorphins now for those of you going yeah but exercise itself can become addictive well yes it can right and hands up I was also uh, I fell into that trap for a while until I started to get so many injuries that I couldn't. And this is where your body is amazing because if you're doing something to excess that is not good for you, you will get symptoms. But oftentimes we choose to ignore them. So did I work through, in inverted commas, push through a lot of those injuries? Yes, I did. Does it now mean that it, I can't run any long distances very fast? Yeah, it does. I've permanently caused problems 
um, that will not be rectified purely through my exercise addiction. Did I have to then learn the hard way? Yeah, I absolutely did. Did I find another form of exercise that was more beneficial for me? And did I learn how to not use that as a as a kind of a another way of being obsessed? Yes, of course I did. Was it easy to do to start with? No, it was uncomfortable. But uncomfortable doesn't mean hard. And I'm going to wrap up uh, on that because. Yes, it's going to be uncomfortable through this period of time. And I'm not even going to use the the recession and the crisis terms because they don't help. It's just a period of time that we're going through and it, we will get through it. And then we'll have another period of time that will be different. And that will last for however long it lasts. And then we'll come back into this same kind of scenario. Just like there will be another pandemic, just like there will, there is always going to be something going on. Right? We never stand still. We're never static. So to think that if we just get through this, all will be well. No, there will be something else. There is always something else, which is why there is never a right time for you to decide that you are going to put down the solution that has now become a problem. In other words, that you are going to change your behavior patterns because you can always, always, always find a reason why now is not a good time, right? But you can always, always, if you look, find reasons why it is. Because if you want to feel better, if you want to be able to find solutions to helping you feel that you are able to navigate through this particular period in our lives, then you're better off not being hungover. You're better off not feeling lethargic and like you're going to pass out from a carb hangover. You're better off not putting poisons in your body from cigarette smoke and spending a lot of money on those things that will only give you a bit of an instant hit. So when your solution has become a problem, take a look at why did I start it in the first place? What is it giving me? What do I think it's giving me? What am I telling myself it's giving me? Is it actually giving me that? And if it is, is it helpful? Because if it's not helpful, that's when you want to be starting to look to be doing something that is. And I'm going to leave that with you. And if you would like to share, if that has been helpful for you, please do let me know. If you would like to contact me, you can do that via my website, which is vickimidwood.com. And you can book a call to have a conversation with me on that website. You can also email me. I am very happy to receive emails. It is vicky at vickymidwood.com. I hope you have a good Sunday. I will be taking a little bit of time out tomorrow because it is a very important day historically when Queen Elizabeth will be being buried and she will be the last queen that a lot of us and a lot of our offspring will see because it's going to be Charles, then it's going to be William, then William's son. So he's going to be kings from now on for, for quite a long time. So this whole period, the 53 years that I've been alive, there's been some amazing events. And what is happening right now in the world is just another one of those amazing events. And there will be more. Have a great day. And I will speak to you 
on the next one. Thank you.